Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Hello, and welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Carla Long, and today you're listening to Percolating on Faith, where we're talking about all different kinds of theodicies. And if you don't know what that means, you're in the right place because you're going to find out and you're going to be thrilled about it. Um, and I, the people I have talking about them are very special people to me, and I'm guessing to you. Their names are Charmaine and Tony Chevala-Smith. Hello, Charmaine. Hello, Tony. Hi, Carla. Good to be with you. Hi, Carla. Always a pleasure. Um, I was just talking to Charmaine and Tony before we started this interview and they're melting right now in Independence, Missouri. (laughs) It's May, 2022 right now, and it is hot, hot, hot. So I'm, thank you for taking the time and sitting down and talking with me, even though you're just broiling over there. (laughs) We are thankful for air conditioning. Let's put it that way. Aren't we indeed. Um, So today we're going to be talking about Augustinian theodicies. And I, again, I just feel super smart saying things like that. So I appreciate the, the confidence that you have in me to say those words and to talk to you about this, because I got to tell you, I have a lot to learn too. Before we jump into Augustine though, let's talk about what a theodicy is. Let's remind our wonderful listeners what exactly a theodicy is and why it's important. Great. So a theodicy, there's you can hear lots of different theodicies around, and even the definition of a theodicy will be determined by which theodicy you lean towards. So we've come up with kind of a a more general neutral definition that should be helpful to everyone. So for the, our definition of theodicy is, what is the relationship between God and the suffering and evil found in the world? So you can't really have a theology without brushing up against this reality of suffering and of evil and of pain. And so it's really an important question. And it's been answered in a lot of different ways um, by lots of different people over time. But some of them have stuck around more than others and have had a pretty deep influence. So we would see that there's like four prongs to um, to look at, at when we go deeper into this question. So the four, four prongs of this question are, why are suffering and evil so present in human experience and in the world? So where does it come from? Why is it even there? The second one, why did God create a world in which suffering and evil are even possible? You know, what, what kind of God would do that? You know, and or how does God see those things? Um, and then, then the Related to that is a question, what does this say about the nature of God, that there's suffering or that there's evil possible? And then the fourth question is, uh, why doesn't God protect us from evil and suffering? Or another take on that question, which I think leads us in a whole different direction, is where is God when we are suffering? So uh, a theodicy is a way of answering those four questions. And, and don't confuse theodicy with the word theology. Theology is a bigger term. Uh, theology is reflecting on our faith. It's faith-seeking understanding. A theology is a way of construing all of the different parts of a religion uh, in a methodical way. Uh, theodicy would be a subheading in theology. So it's, it, it is or can be a part of a theology. 
and most theologies deal with the theodicy question in some way, uh, though there is not any final answers, right? So that's why we're doing the <laughs> series of podcasts where we're looking at different approaches to it. Not, and the previous one we did was on St. Irenaeus's approach and the Irenaean or person-making the person-making theodicy that has developed from St. Irenaeus. And so today we're looking at a different figure, St. Augustine, who's uh, a really significant figure in this whole topic and has a different way of understanding the problems related to evil and suffering in the world. So when we're looking at Augustine when, and his dates are around 354 to 430 CE and um, Irenaeus, who we talked about last time, is probably his dates are... He's, he's in, yeah, in the second century, he dies, he dies early 200s, 202, somewhere around there. So here's uh, Augustine, you know, another 130 or 40 years later. And um, one of the important things to know is that during the time that Irenaeus is a theologian in the church, uh, the church is this suspicious, strange minority in the Roman Empire that is uh, experiencing persecution. Um, and, and they're having to try and figure out who are we and how do we fit in this world? Uh, and how, how do we maintain our identity? But here we are with Augustine. And, and Augustine is a famous figure from the period after Christianity has become the imperial religion. Right. And so there's a whole different relationship between, we'll say, church and state in the time of Augustine than there was uh, in the time of, of Irenaeus. So it's a different, very different context. Some, some similar issues, but a different context. So. Yeah, completely different context. You know, here's Christianity, the favored religion now of the empire. And it's popular it's a, to, <laughs> to be Christian. In fact, you know, if you want to get ahead in government, you probably want to be a Christian. Um, because that's how you make connections mm -hmm. and uh, show that you're in, you know. So whole big shift in that 120 or 30 years. So Augustine's got a different context in which he's living, but we think that the probably the best way to approach Augustine's theology, and especially his theodicy, is to understand about him and his life, and especially some about his struggles, his the struggles in his spiritual journey, because the things he learns about God in his, I'm going to call it a tug of war um, with God over whether or not he wants to actually really commit to being a full-time Christian. <laughs> um, the things he learns in that whole many years process um, becomes his lens, his template for understanding how God works in the world and how, and where suffering comes from and where growth comes from as well. So those, it's really important to, to start with, uh, Augustine's, his own uncertain at times spiritual journey. So I would call him a reluctant Christian. His mother was a very strong Christian. His father, probably not. And uh, he, he, he had lots of, because, because it was the in thing to be Christian, he, he had a lot of pressure, especially from his mom, um, to, <laughs> to embrace this thing more fully. He had an amazing mind, an amazing intellect. He was well acclaimed, respected in the academic world. And 
and he consequently he had um, he was well respected, well known. Uh, lots of the the benefits of being in those higher tiers um, in his in his culture, and 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 yet there's this this you know the spirits at work in him, and he knows it. But it's like I would have to walk away from these kind of fun things that I'm liking in my life, you know, and, um, and because he is kind of an all or nothing person, you know, if he's, if he's going to take this step, he's not going to be a half way Christian <laughs> said something else. Um, <laughs> he's going to embrace it fully. And he, um, and so he knows that he would have to make some choices about some other parts of his life that he would have to let go of. And he doesn't want to, you know, for the longest time, it's like, oh, no. But then there's this, still this tugging inside. And, and he's, he's already a person who is very aware. I mean, um, the psychological world draws a lot from Augustinian, uh, Augustine's self-understanding. But this battle with God inside of himself or the, the battle between do I do this or do I not fully commit to this Christian thing um, makes him even more attuned, uh, sensitive, uh, even acutely aware of what's happening inside of him. He, he turns his intellect inside as well to say, why am I struggling so much? What is it that is driving me? Um, he becomes aware of his, of his ego and his ego needs, um, and those that are out of proportion. Uh, he, he recognizes what he will we'll talk about later, self-love in a negative way, um, and, and how it can skew your interactions with others. Um, he, he looks at his own chosen evil acts of his during his life and says, why did I do that? And tries to put that under a microscope. So there's all of this is, is going on in his life. He does eventually, um, because of his quest for truth, and also because his mom <laughs> really, really wanted him. <laughs> he was driven by his, his quest for truth and his mother. <laughs> his, his mother, St. Monica, is the, should be the patron saint of helicopter mothers. She just, she just like was there all the time. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, she wanted to plan his married life and all kinds of things. So, um, so, he's, so this whole struggle um, becomes the lens through which his theology, his understanding of God um, happens. And so, you know, he sees these decisions to turn away from God in his life. Um, and yet he recognizes God is still there. God is still inviting. God even takes some of these things, bad decisions he makes that cause suffering to him and other people. And God seems to be able to use that to, to help him to kind of nurture that part of him that is spiritual and that is, is being drawn by God. So he sees God using even his bad decisions, even these times of suffering, even these times when he chooses evil as ways to help him keep growing. 
And so this, that's actually the basis of much of his theodicy is that the, uh, one of the classical descriptions of providence is that God is of God using even our bad choices, even the evil things in the world to help direct us in some, some better ways. Uh, so that's, that's the lens. That's the way in which Augustine then approaches his theodicy. Some of those features you'll see showing up again. So some other things people should know about Augustine. Uh, Charmaine mentioned that you know, he, he's, uh, he's a professor, basically. He's a professor of rhetoric. And in the ancient world, the rock stars were <laughs> the orators, right? <laughs> so in, in our world, I mean, this will date me. In our world, you know, we want to hear Springsteen or want to go hear Joan Jett or so yes, I'm I'm old. I like these people, but they are they're 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 rock stars. And uh, in the classical world, no, it was the orators. You went to hear you went to hear speeches like we would go to rock concerts. And Augustine was like right at the top of his game when it came to being a rock star orator. He was brilliant, brilliant Latinist, and he got a job working as an imperial court orator. So he moved he moved from North Africa, his home to, to Italy, uh, to, to Milan. By, by this time, Milan had become the imperial capital in the West, not Rome. And so he's an orator there. So Augustine uh, is brilliant with language. He's, his, his conversion gets him onto the Bible. And he, be, he just, he, he preaches literally hundreds and hundreds of sermons He's constantly reflecting on the Bible. He reads the Bible as kind of a whole narrative beginning to end. And that gives him, that's another, another lens that plays into his creation of a, uh, at least some, some tentative responses to the problem of evil. He's theologian. He's philosopher. He's bishop. Uh, he's, he's a bishop who packed churches in North Africa. Everybody wanted to hear him speak because he was so brilliant. Um, and uh, he's, he has, he, he loves people. He loves to be around people. He's, he cultivates friendship a lot. And so his, his, the, the volume of his writings is absolutely huge. One scholar estimates that he wrote over 5 million words. That's a lot of pages. And, and at the, towards the end of his life, when he knew he was coming to the end of his life, he, he even, uh, had a, did, did a work where he, he wanted to go back through everything he had written and say, here's what I was thinking then, here's how I should have, here's how I should say it now. <laughs> you know, more experience and thought would make me say it differently now. Uh, or when I said it then, I think that's probably the better way to say it anyway, so I'd leave that alone. <laughs> this, this is a man who was conscious of creating a legacy, really, right? And uh, so, so he's, he's quite, he's, he's, this is no slouch. And he wrote many, many books, but the, just three of his books, The Confessions, The City of God, and his book on the Trinity, just three of his books among the many, many things he wrote, those would have already classified him as one of the great theologians of the Western world. But, oh, no, he wrote a lot more than those three books. So, yeah, Carla. I really think that you're kind of proving a case for helicopter moms right now, just so you know. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I'm just letting you know that, right? <laughs> Study hard, Augustine. Learn your Latin <laughs> verbs, and you'll do well. <laughs> and I'm and I'm here 
to watch you learn your Latin <laughs> verbs. <laughs> and, and to tell you uh, who, who you should associate with and who you shouldn't and who you can marry and who you can't marry and those kinds of things. So yeah, mom was... She sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> so Augustine didn't write like a single book on theodicy. He just dealt, he dealt with the topic in different places. He dealt with it in his, his autobiographical uh, reflection called the Confessions. Um, he, he dealt with it in his, his, this two-volume masterwork. It's such a big work called The City of God, which is really kind of a philosophy of history. And he dealt with it in his letters. He just he wrote like hundreds of letters and treatises and so on. He deals with it in bits and pieces. And so when you talk about an Augustinian theodicy, it's like, well, you're kind of having to piece it together out of all the stuff you wrote. And it's really interesting because as we've been preparing for this podcast, we've been reading some different theologians. And it's interesting how different theologians take those bits and pieces where um, Augustine is dealing with suffering evil, those kinds of things, and um, how they would then characterize what Augustinian theodicy is. And some of them, I mean, different ones focus on different things, but sometimes it's hard to tell they're talking about the same person. So, <laughs> so that's, that was a fun thing uh, as we were, you know, some would, would um, emphasize the idea of God being punitive of God punishing for uh, our sin, while others would say that um, people that Augustine saw um, some things not so much as God's punishment, but as consequences that cause suffering, and that that then you learn from those consequences rather than God actively punishing. Um, and then the idea that that you know some of the bad things that happen in history are um, because of the effect of humanity on the world, um, and so there is this uh, negative consequence that affects everybody. So it's more of a big picture thing rather than a, a God punishing individuals for individual acts, but that um, humanity's mistakes and self-love and disregard for others brings punishment. So it's there's all these different uh, things that get lifted up to different degrees by different theologians. And so you'll get, um, so we're acknowledging that different people go different places with it but we're going to try and give you the, the kind of a clear, clearish, uh, <laughs> a summary sort of a summary of yeah, thanks of of the things that that Augustine raised that others have developed and used beyond that. So with with each with each figure we cover, we'll say here here's their context, and for Augustine, there's like three three points on his context, and the one Charmaine's already mentioned it's his personal context, so. Augustine continuously thinks about his own inner life. Uh, what's going on inside of me? Uh, also, what's going on inside of other persons, too. But um, he really wants to understand the nature of the soul and the nature of how we choose the things we choose and why we do. And so he, he, uh, his book, Confessions, is like a review of his life's journey. And there's this scene in, in there where I mean, 
all all feel all all scholars of Augustine always go to the scene. It's kind of interesting. Augustine, the Christian, is looking back on his life, and he's look, he 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 thinks about a teenage prank he was involved in with his buddies when they stole pears from an, somebody's pear tree at night and went and threw them to the pigs. Now we would we would we would say, all right, uh, Carla, when you stole pears from your neighbor's tree, I'm just I'm, I'm just making this up. I don't think you did, but maybe you did. <laughs> but we would say, all right, that's just you know developmentally that's a teenagers do it's a stupid thing and when you're an adult you probably won't do that anymore no 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 augustine wants to understand why did i do that and he comes to a really frightening conclusion he you know in the confessions he says we had pears in our own yard and they were better pears than the ones we stole and we and we and we took the pears even though we didn't need them for food and we fed them to the pigs and it was just out of the desire and joy of doing something that was wrong and so he starts to analyze that. What is that in us? And so in these podcasts, we're talking about evil and suffering. Where does evil and suffering come from in the world? And what's God's relation to it? And Augustine right there is analyzing how human beings have this capacity within them to do evil for its own sake and not, not to get any good out of it. And so uh, that's he's doing a deep psychological dive there to try to understand motivations and, and in Confessions, he also, he also reflects on infants. And he, there's this story in the Confessions where he, he, he is observing a mother who is trying to nurse twins. And he observes, the, he observes the look of absolute wrath on one of the twins' face when the other twin gets to nurse first. And he's saying, what is that? Now, we think developmentally, right? We think well, it's just, you know, it's, they're just infants. They don't know. We have better. science and psychology and all of that to, to work with. Augustine doesn't have that. Augustine is observing and he's saying that unchecked is what becomes wrath in a human and leads to murder and death and so on. So in other words, he sees already in the infant the, 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 the capacity to think that what they want is more important than what anybody else wants. And so, uh, and indeed, psychologically, if that if that's unchecked in a person, um, it leads to horrible things. Uh, I mean, really horrible things, uh, culturally, historically, politically, and so on, and personally. And we probably all have seen that look on a two-year-old's face, too, when they're not getting what they want yet. So, yes. <laughs> so um, I've only seen that four or five times in the last 30 minutes. So, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> and, and you had no idea that you have a monster right there in your very midst, right? Um, I sure didn't. That monster is now napping peacefully upstairs. So, yeah. So, so you have to take really seriously Augustine's personal context when he, when he thinks about and talks about the nature of evil and, and suffering and, and pain in the world, because he's, he's, he, do, he does want to take seriously our own complicity in it. Right. And so that's important to know. So a second context piece is that, oh, go ahead, Charmaine. There's one, one little piece that yeah. I want to add into yeah. that. I think we'll probably touch on it later, but um, with that is that is also that awareness that forgiveness is available, always available. Um, that, that as we recognize those things in ourselves that um, cause harm or damage, that again, God is still there inviting us um, asking us to turn 
Um, and so forgiveness is, is a part of all of that as well. So there's, the, there's a bit of good news in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, and, and the Christian Augustine recognizes that and, and, you know, deals with that frequently. That's so important to him. So the second, the second context piece is when we talked about Irenaeus, we talked about him having to struggle with this religio, religious, philosophical trend called Gnosticism that took all kinds of different shapes. Well, it's still around in Augustine's time. And it now takes, takes a particular form in a religion called Manichaeanism. And so Gnosticism and Manichaeanism taught that the world is actually a battle between good and evil. And both things are real. They're, they're their own kind of deities, a good God and a bad God. And the material world and all the suffering and misery that comes with it, that's part of being connected to the bad God. And so... Um, so our bodies are mm-hmm. bad. Nature is bad. Um, the physical world. So this, this, this creates a, a dualism. Spirit good, matter bad. Um, and... Christianity has had to deal with this in all kinds of forms ever since the second century. And then in Augustine's in the fourth and fifth century, still dealing with it then, constantly having to deal with it. We still have to deal with it today. But, you know, before Augustine was a Christian, he was a Manichae. He, 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 had, he, he found Manichaeism intellectually intriguing and, and desirable. But the, the, more he, the more he thought about his own life and problems and issues, the more he found it not satisfying. And so he, he worked his way out of it on his path to, to becoming a, a Christian. But so uh, August, Augustine rejects this idea of there being two, two forces at war, good and evil, and both are real tangible things. And, he, and, and that they're of equal power too. More or less, yeah, right. He rejects that. Right, he, he, he rejects the idea on the basis of the Christian doctrine of creation on the basis of his reading of the book of Genesis. Um, God is the creator of all things, uh, spiritual, physical, whatever, and all things are good, each in their own way. There are degrees of goodness, but nothing that God creates is bad. And so the body, the flesh, and so on, none of this is bad per se. There's not, and there's not this kind of, um, there's not this eternal death match between good (laughs) and evil uh, that's going on. God, God is sovereign over the world. Still, he has to account for the existence of evil, but but it's always good to know that in the background he's he's got that that Gnostic dualism stuff that he's fighting against. And then a third a third thing that's part of his context that's a little just a little bit later in his life is that uh, he lived in a time when the Western part of the Roman Empire was in visible decline. Uh, I mean, like the street we drove on in Kansas City this morning. Uh, <laughs> It would it would fit perfectly in the late Western Roman Empire. <laughs> so so he's got that Rome in the West ain't what it used to be. But on top of that, in the year 410, a whole bunch of Visigoths came into the city of Rome and destroyed the city of Rome, sacked it, burned it, raped, pillaged, uh, looted. And so it was horrible. The eternal city fell to the Visigoths in 410. And it's really hard for us to imagine what that was like for Romans. And by this time, Romans are mostly all Christians. And so they, they're, they're good. Uh, they love their nation, love their country, love their city, love their traditions and heritage. And so uh, 
it's Rome is no longer the evil empire by the time of Augustine. It's the good empire. And, um, you know, imagine if a bunch of Visigoths destroyed Washington, D.C., right? So, uh, (laughs) um, oh, wait. Some have tried. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow. Almost happened. (laughs) But but uh, but anyway, um, you know, imagine imagine psychologically and existentially how that would feel to us. That's part of his framework. And he has all these refugees coming from Italy over to North Africa, where it's more or less safe, at least it's safe for 20 years. And they're bringing tales of, of violence. These are traumatized people. And many, many of them, probably most of them in some way are Christian. And they're saying, how did God let this happen? Right. Um, why would God let all this destruction happen to, to, to Rome, the eternal city? Where is God in all this? And actually, he, he, he writes that massive book, City of God, um, in part to kind of respond to that question. And he, he comes up with a, an answer in that book, or several answers, but one that, that good patriotic Romans might not have liked, but, uh, but still he's trying to deal with the problem. That's part of his context. His, his culture is failing. And, and so how do you deal with the suffering that that creates, visible suffering that creates? So those are all the context pieces that goes into, you know, some of the, the main points of his, his way of thinking about evil, the existence of evil and suffering. So context pieces, now we'll just go into some of the points he, I, I say the points he makes, remember, he makes them in different places, and, and theologians reading Augustine for centuries have kind of you know, they, they've looted Augustine's works and, and created, and this is, this is more or less the picture of his theodicy. So that's what we're doing here. So the first thing we want to want to say then is that for Augustine, evil is not a thing. Evil is a no thing. It, it, it doesn't have existence. See, to ha- for, for Augustine to have being, to have existence is the definition of goodness, and evil does not have existence in that way because evil is a a nothing, a, a no thing, a, a negating right of the good. He uses the Latin term privatio boni, the the privation of the good, the the lessening of the good. Charles Matthews uses the word lessening, the lessening of the good. So what when when I when I catch a bad cold, right, um, because of a cold virus or whatever what happens is a lessening of health, right? So the, the illness, the illness, though it's caused by a virus, from, from Augustine's perspective in the fourth, fifth century, the illness isn't like a demonic power assaulting me. Uh, the illness is a lack of something, right? And so this, this is a way he fights against Gnosticism and Manichaeanism, right? That, that evil, think of evil as a kind of shadow, uh, a shadow, but interestingly, we human beings, because of that thing, he that pear tree thing, we find ourselves strangely attracted to this shadow. <laughs> what is how what accounts for that? Why why would we who exist what and have being? Why would we be attracted to non-being? Right? Ah, well, we're going to get to that in a minute. That's going to be his understanding of the nature of sin. So, but um, so um, where did this where did this negation come from? It wasn't there at the beginning from Augustine's point of view. God created the universe and God said that it was very good. In the, in the, in the beginning, now, all right, stop for a second. Augustine's a fourth, fifth century person. He reads his Bible 
than in Latin. And he thinks Adam and Eve are real people. And he thinks, you know, so we just have to let him be who he was in that time, right? So, but he's asking the question, he asks deep questions. So where, where does this negation come from? And what, what he says is that privation, that the choice for non-being, uh, that arises from the free choice of finite beings. Finite beings that were good somehow, and here he's thinking of both angels and then Adam and Eve, somehow were attracted to the negation and chose it. And uh, that choice then opens the possibility of negation into the creation. God permits it, but God did not cause it. So God allows free choice, um, makes that possible. And so this negation of the good is possible. And um, even appealing at time times to people. Yeah. So that, so if you ask Augustine, so where did all this evil and suffering start? Augustine's answer would be, it started there, right? It started with, with the choice uh, that uh, he, he imagines creation in taking place in, in spheres. And there's the angelic sphere and the earthly sphere. And in both spheres, there was this turning away from being and from goodness towards the allure of non-being. Um, and that opened the door to uh, damage. So the next point then would be these wrong, wrong choices by these free beings have damaged the whole system, right? So, so including the human will and perception, right? We're, we're our ability to perceive things accurately well and so on and our ability to choose the good is also damaged in this we can we long for the good and we seek it but <laughs> all of us all of us have experiences where we said i knew what i knew it was good to do and there was part of me that wanted to but i didn't choose it but i ate the whole chocolate bar anyway <laughs> <laughs> right or i i i actually ate the whole pizza carla <laughs> I, I knew that it was bad but I did it anyway. Um, so, so my, my will was damaged once I saw bubbling cheese and pepperoni. <laughs> it's kind of like our perceptions are twisted by this, these ongoing uh, wrong choices mm -hmm. or, and so, and it, but that builds on itself and then affects the people around. And so, yeah, all of reality is then skewed. Right. So the, the fall for Augustine is the start of the start of all this. It, the fall meaning the, Adam the, and Eve right, that, and their choice. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Eat from the, the, the tree they weren't supposed to. Right. And so this, so as well as evil being a privation, evil is also connected to what Charles Matthews calls uh, a perversion, right? a, a, a desire to choose what is not, what is not good. Um, so um we live in a messed up reality. We still have free choice, it's damaged, but we live in a messed up reality. And so in this messed up system, bad things happen. Um, and then we, in our selfishness, continue to add to it, <laughs> right? So we add to it by, by continuing to, even sometimes when we're trying to seek the good, we, we, we mess things up and that continues to add to the, the suffering of the world. So much, 
much of the evil that we experience, Augustine would say, human beings in some fashion are responsible for. Now that's that's Augustine, and that's that's probably the most difficult thing here because you know, if you start trying to transplant his thought into the 20th century and apply it to something like the Shoah, the Holocaust, it really looks horrible. His, uh, and so one has to be really careful. But remember, he's trying to think this through as a fourth and fifth century person. And he has actually some things we can learn, learn from. So I, one thing here is that when Augustine talks about responsibility, he's thinking in macro and not micro terms. That's pretty important. Um, so for Augustine, if, if, if we could move Augustine to our own time, Augustine wouldn't say God smites a person with COVID-19 because of a specific sin. Augustine doesn't think like that. Rather, um, the, that individual is not fully an individual because the individual is part of a system, right? I am part of a community, part of a culture, part of a country. Uh, that's a, a complex inter, interconnected web and that web is marked not only by goodness, but also by things like self-deception and selfishness and malice and freedom to disregard the well-being of the whole. So the, the individual lives in a system that's already marred by all of that, um, all that kind of self-centeredness. And so, um, yeah, suffering and pain. COVID-19 could have been dealt with better it wasn't predestined in anything. It could have been dealt with better, but because of this broken reality we're part of, it's been dealt with in a broken way. And so a particular individual doesn't get COVID-19 and die from it because of a particular sin. Rather, the individual is part of a web of interrelations. And within that web are people who prefer uh, malice and self-deception uh, over uh, caring for others. And so that's, it's, it's, it's kind of a shared, a shared experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, the more specific kinds of things we can say, you know, in some ways, what he's saying was, has been borne out, you know, the, the, the selfishness and the neglect and the denial that um, have come around racial issues in the U S has meant that unequal living conditions, unequal health care, unequal um, clean air and water has meant that there are certain people who have been more affected um, because of the, the blindness, the selfishness of others. So you, in, the, in the big picture, you can see that some people are suffering because of the sin of the, of the whole. Um, so that kind of translates all right. Um, mm -hmm. but if you take it too far, um, then, then you can, you know, you can make every natural disaster somebody's <laughs> fault. Uh, and though, you know, with climate change, some natural disasters, there is mm -hmm. an identifiable fault, but, um, you know, others not. So, and, and I think this is a place where we have to remember and recognize that, Augustine lives in a pre-scientific age, mm -hmm. a time when the understandings of disease or of weather patterns or of geological shifts, all of those kinds of things, those aren't really available to him. And so he can't work those into his theodicy in understanding things like mm -hmm. disease or why some people are 
are ill, become ill or have more suffering than others. So he would, so, you know, Augustine, his time and place would say, cause he doesn't know stuff about weather, weather patterns and so on. He, 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 he would see weather disasters as part of this broken reality, this reality that was broken by, you know, the, 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 the bad choices that got the thing got the thing got messed Ad, up in the, the first place adam and eve made in everyone sense so. and, and he, would, he would see but he would see things like weather disasters as evil because they lessen being they they rob they rob things of being um so and you know to follow up on what sharon was saying um lots of times in, in the theodicy question um theologians and philosophers will separate evil into uh, natural evil and moral evil. Moral evil is obvious. It's when we choose to do bad things that, that harm others. Natural evil, tip, classically, is uh, disasters. You know, lightning strikes somebody. Disasters that happen that are, do not come through moral fault, but are just uh, they're, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. They're evil because in Augustine's Augustine's sense, they they lessen being. But the you know currently in our in our era. Weather disasters and moral evil seem to be connected. There, there's a connection, so uh, we we don't want to. I mean, we 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 would see that for different reasons from what Augustine would see it, but it might come out it might come out kind of the same. So, so um, the next point we want to make here is that uh, human experience and human relations and relationships and human perceptions for Augustine are all. They're, they're distorted. Uh, we, we see all these things as if through cataracts, right? Um, and what, what distorts them is what Augustine calls amor sui, love of self, self-love. So in Augustine, the concept is you don't want to confuse it with our modern kind of uh, therapeutic counseling concept, which is a good one of self-acceptance. He's not talking about self-acceptance. When he uses the term self-love, he's talking about inordinate focus on the needs wants desires of the self even the worship of the self making myself the center of the universe uh, and my desires wants wishes and so on and by making myself the center of everything in other words by making myself god uh we i actually distort our ability to see things clearly to see each other clearly to love clearly and so on. The thing that we're called to do, love God and neighbor and self, we have a hard time doing because self-love has uh, a corrupting influence on it. We're, we're much, much later in the theological uh, tradition, Martin Luther, who's good Augustinian, Martin Luther, Luther will use the, the Latin phrase, incurvatus in se, to be curved in on ourselves. Or put it this way, we are in orbit around ourself. That's, that's what self-love is for Augustine. And this self-love leads again and again and again to consequences that span the spectrum from painful to disastrous, right? Seeking what only the self wants can create difficulty uh, in one's personal life, but it can create difficulty in the culture, can create difficulty per, uh, politically, socially. It, it has, it has, uh, can have monstrously evil consequences. So, uh, so self-interest and, and love of self, these are present in all of human experience, even in the midst of our best moments, Augustine would say. So that's, 
Uh, and again, this is Augustine thinking about himself. He's reflecting. Mm -hmm. And if we take the time to think about, <laughs> you know, our best moments, if we really think about all of the angles and look behind the corners in those best moments, we may see things like uh, pride. We may see things like, ha ha, I'm better than so on. So, it's, you know, you know, and uh, or so on. we do or doing things um, that seem good so that we will get acclaim or mm -hmm. uh, acknowledged, all of those things. So I'm actually feeling a little personally attacked here. Um, Charmaine and Tony <laughs> just good, good. Augustine would be pleased because uh, he's, he is not a finger pointer uh, because he's acknowledging where it's coming from is this self understanding. And as he shares it, he recognizes that other people recognize themselves as well and so yeah well it, I mean, yeah it's there church life is full of examples of like you oh know where pe people people like don't donating with air quotes uh, around, donating you know ten thousand dollars to the church to, to buy an x but if you buy the wrong x they want to withhold they want to they want to <laughs> withdraw their money right right or that's my pew my family paid for that pew I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in church life where where the good it appears that we are doing is actually in the interest of self. And this, this from Augustine's perspective, this is a major source of all kinds of human suffering and pain, right? That, that we, a, a pretended good, we, we honor each other for pretended goods when behind it, what's it, the pretended good is concealing darker motives. Actually, you know, I can, I can see this in, you know, we in community Christ, we talk about servant ministry. And when you are in priesthood, you're supposed to, it's a lowering down and not a raising up. And I think at our best, when we are our best selves, um, maybe Augustine would agree with me, but I doubt it. <laughs> um, the, the servant ministry part that we try and do is, is something that's exactly what we should be doing. Uh, I, when I call people to priesthood, I'm like, just so you know, it is not fun all the time. It is not fun most of the time. Um, it is. And, and so I feel like that's what he's talking about in other churches. I know that priesthood is like a lifting oneself up and over and above. And it sounds like Augustine would be very much against that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that would be accurate. In fact, when, once he did make that shift and let it, allowed himself to be fully converted. How old was he at that point? Oh gosh, he's in his, I think he's in his thirties. I can't in remember. His, 30s. Exactly. Um, his, <laughs> his right to make some choices over his own life are kind of uh, snatched away from him. Oh, like when he was ordained? Yes. Oh my gosh. When, when, when <laughs> he's forced <laughs> to be a servant of all. So Tony, go oh, ahead. Well, yes. This is how Augustine got ordained. So Augustine, after his conversion experience in Italy, he and a group of people move back to North Africa. Uh, uh, he, he wants to form kind of like a little monastery where they reflect, read scripture, write, talk, you know, uh, pray, kind of worship. Step back out of the, the very public view that he had been accustomed to, yeah. to become reflective. And Which, by the way, gives you a sense of his social class because the average worker person can't do this. But, but so they move back to North Africa. And Augustine, Augustine, uh, Augustine's fame had preceded him, and everybody knows he's a Christian. Everybody remembers him as the rock star orator. He's really brilliant, and so on. And he's in church one day, and when I say church in fourth century Roman North Africa, everybody you stood, 
and you, you know you stood you stood for the service. The bishop sat up front in a chair, the cathedral, the, the bishop's chair. And there's this worship service where the, the bishop the bishop sees him back there, and the bishop's getting old, and the bishop's like, you know what we need is new leadership. Lock the door. <laughs> Basically, I, I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing the story, but 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 and and he did, there's Augustine back there, and everybody's like, yeah, he's here, he's really good, he's cool. And so, to to make a, a long story short, Augustine got himself ordained that day, and all of his plans for a quiet, contemplative life just got ruined because Snatched. now he's he's priest, and then he becomes assistant to the bishop, and then he becomes bishop of Hippo, the this this major city in North Africa. He now becomes a public figure who's everywhere in demand. Um, and he rolls with it, right? Um, his, he recognizes his life now is not his own in the way that he wanted to control it and, and so on. But, uh, that actually leads us pretty well into the next point, because you might, might be thinking this at this point, well, if everything is messed up, broken, saturated with self-love, what's the good news in here? Well, for Augustine, the good news is that God is nevertheless infinite and thus fully present. In his, in his confessions, this is one of the greatest lines in his confessions. In Confessions is a 400-page long prayer, Carla. It's a very long prayer. Nobody ever prayed this in a community. Nobody who even prays long prayers in community prayers. I was going to say, the two of you have got to quit complaining about my prayers. <laughs> right, right. When the evangelist is praying in a community of Christ worship service and you think, for the love of Mary, how long is this going to go on? Just remember, it's not going to go on 400 pages in Latin. So... But anyway, so in in this beautiful prayer, he says to God, as he's looking back at his early life and all the stupid stuff he did and mistakes he did and all the selfishness in his early life, he says, you were with me. I was not with you. In other words, God does not, has not abandoned the creation. God has not left the building. God is not observing from outside. God is uh, intimately present in the midst of all things as God, right? And, and so God is acting for good in the creation, in hidden ways, right in the midst of stuff. And even in such hidden ways that God is able to take some of our mistakes and create something out of them that we could not have imagined that, that will lead to good or reclamation mm -hmm. or growth. Mm -hmm. So for Augustine, God, God can be trusted to bring greater good out of even all of our mess ups and all of history's mess ups. And so it gives, there's a sense of confidence and optimism in his theology, even while he's very, very realistic about <laughs> our, our human propensities. Um, there's this, this saying that really applies well to Augustine's theodicy and his view of divine providence. And it, it, the saying is, God draws straight with our crooked lines. So we freely choose our crooked lines. And in Augustine's theology, uh, our, our impaired wills like crooked lines a lot. And we like looking over the abyss and we like looking at nothingness and, and toying with non-being and all that. Um, but for Augustine, God is much vaster than all of that. And um, for, for Augustine, goodness will ultimately prevail. Uh, because for Augustine, God is goodness itself. The essence of God is goodness. And so uh, 
God can't not be, right? Unlike everything else, us, planets, angels, which are all contingent beings, God can't not be. God, God is. And uh, that means that that goodness, which is the heart of the divine nature, can't be destroyed. And so regardless of what's happening, regardless if your empire is falling and crumbling around you, regardless if you, and this is Augustine, he's, when he's in his last couple of weeks of life, he's dying. And those, those various, uh, various Germanic tribes and hordes that they'd crossed over from Spain into North Africa, they'd been coming down the coast towards, towards Hippo. And they, by the, as Augustine's dying, they've surrounded his city. And so uh, his, his biographer, Posidius, says that he, the, the last part of his life was the most painful because he saw this destruction happen. He couldn't stop it. And yet, for Augustine, uh, God remains good. And goodness, ultimately, will prevail because evil is no thing. Uh, evil has no substantive existence except whatever we give it by yielding to it. But it has not; it, it does not have an eternal existence, and so uh, goodness will ultimately prevail for Augustine. And so there's a a, a really positive, beautiful note in his theo- theology and in his theodicy um, that there, you, you tr- sometimes we just have to trust God in the long game, even if even if the short game we're involved in is messed up. So, so that's part of his response. A, f- a final thing about Augustine, this is an additional point, in, in relation to the whole question of evil and suffering and so on, this is a really interesting idea. Augustine has this concept that is referred to as plenitude, mm. abundance, or fullness. And so uh, Augustine's trying to make sense of a universe that has a lot of suffering and loss in it. And one of the ways he makes sense of it is that he says, well, you know, God has created a universe or world with the most possible beings in it. And those beings sometimes conflict with each other. So it's kind of the most possible beings, but the most possible variety of beings, of Mm -hmm. thinking, of lifestyle, of language, of how one appears, all of those things. And And it's a good thing, all this variety. Diversity. So, right. So for Augustine, that that's the best possible world. Uh, God, God would God creates with plenitude in mind, having the most possible different beings. Well, the problem, of course, is that that's going to mean that human beings <laughs> will have to interact at times with mosquitoes and poison ivy and rattlesnakes and viruses and and people that they don't like right. or have built up biases <laughs> against. Right. I, I didn't mention rattlesnakes, <laughs> but you see, each of those things in and of itself mosquito, poison ivy, rattlesnake, virus, because it has being, it, it, is, it is good. It has, a, it has a goodness intrinsic to itself, right? But what happens is that each of these things uh, has its own realm, uh, but in creating a universe with the most possible beings, there's going to there's going to be collisions between They're realms. They're going to bump up against each other and be abrasive to right. each other, and and then har- then there will be harm. So harm from these collisions. Um, so in this particular case, it doesn't look like Augustine doesn't see the harm. Uh, I mean, North Africa Af- North Africa is full of vipers. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't see the 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 harm. He doesn't see the harm and death that might be caused from a snake bite as necessarily 
from sin. It's colliding systems, right? It's systems that in their own frame are good, right? The viper, the viper is poisonous for, well, for our, in our view, an evolutionary reason. It's, it's venom uh, helps it digest the mammals that it eats, right? Uh, not so good when, it's, when it bites your foot, but um, so this, this collision of systems, there, there's natural consequences of colliding systems. And so suffering in these systems is not due to sin per se, right? It's, it's just because it's a complex web. Um, and yet God knows that. And from Augustine would say, from the God's eye perspective, it's, it's better, it was apparently better in God's view that there be the most full possible world than that there be a world in which there are no mosquitoes, ticks, rattlesnakes, poison ivy, and there's just a few favored humans who don't have to interact with them. <laughs> right, right. So it's better, it's better that there's, think of it this way, it's better that there's more different kinds than, there's only, than there being fewer, few, a few kinds that don't collide. Um, so, so that's just another part of the, the puzzle, the picture with Augustine. I don't know that he develops this further, but uh, different theologians re reference this in, re in relation to Augustinian theodicy. Um, that the interesting thing is that human beings with our self-love, we, we sometimes don't want there to be a plenitude of beings. And so we drain swamps, we drain wetlands, we suck the life out of the, out of the ecosystem and so and on. We practice genocide or war. Towards what is other. And so, and so what was intended by God was variety human beings, uh, and, and the variety would have natural collisions in it, sure, but human beings, because of our self-love, uh, want to re reduce the variety to one, to us. So, so those are, I mean, that's kind of a, a tour of Augustine and Augustinian traditions trying to deal with the question of suffering and evil and so on. It's not, none of these things that we'll do, none of these systems that we deal with will have final answers, but they give pieces that might be useful to people. So, so we'll stop, Carl, and see if there's any questions before we go on to our, how to preach, how to preach from the perspective of an Augustinian theodicy and how to pray from the, this perspective. So question. I think you've done a really great job of it. Um, talking about him. I've learned a lot already. I will say that I had a little bit of gastrointestinal difficulties when you're telling the story about the Bishop and saying, lock the door, it's time for someone else to take over. I, I, I bet, I bet he also was feeling it deep, very deep. Yes. I totally, right. Oh right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I ate too many olives this morning. This is not a good time. This right? is, I actually need to leave that door. So, uh, uh, so that was, that was a little stressful, um, to, to hear, uh, but I'm glad we're moving on to how to preach and how to maybe pray about this Augustinian theodicy. Cause you know, again, I think I asked this last time during the Irenaean theodicy, I'm like, okay, that's really cool to know. What do we do? What do we do? <laughs> what do I do with that? Um, so yeah, let's go, let's jump into that part. So I'll just deal with a few topics for preaching. And again, we're going to say each time, all right, you don't preach a theodicy. A theodicy is a, th essentially it's a theory. Right, it's a, an attempt on the part of a theologian to work out these different pieces, but suffering people don't need the theories, right? They need love and care in our presence. So that said, uh, there might be there might be some themes 
in Augustine's dealing with this topic that could be useful in different kinds of preaching settings. So for example, um, the, 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 the sheer goodness of being, to be is good by definition. There's definitely a sermon in that, right? I think that's really important. And that doesn't mean that we never talk about sin, but for Augustine, sin is, sin is a, a parasite on top of a thing that's really good, right? So another one, this whole idea of plenitude, um, honoring the rich uh, variety of creation and recognizing that human attempts to reduce variety or diminish it or control it run against the grain of creation and hence run against the will of the creator, right? So variety in Augustine's theology of variety is intrinsic to creation. So that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, God's capacity for new creation in the midst of our brokenness, loss, and tragedy. God, God gives new starts all the time. Uh, be a good, a good theme, a good place to connect Augustine to, like if you're preaching on the Joseph story in the Hebrew Bible, where God did not cause Joseph's suffering. <laughs> uh, the brothers did, but God uses the whole story to, uh, it's a sad story, but he, God uses the story to make a different path open into the future. And another place to go with this is that sense that um, our sin, if you want to use that word, our mistakes, our bad choices, our even our self-love in the negative way, um, it does not deter God from being with us. In fact, God is creatively mm -hmm. trying to work with what is happening in us and even the, the pain and the suffering that happened. So mm -hmm. uh, God does not yeah. desert us just because we fail at these, at the goodness. Um, God keeps helping us find a way. So, yeah. And so another one, like Romans, what if you were preaching on Romans five, which is a, a rich, but difficult text, there's five twenty where it says where sin increased grace abounded all the more. That's, that's beautiful for Augustine grace always super abounds over top of whatever, whatever mistakes and mess ups we have. Um, another, another theme from Augustine for preaching is the indestructibility of grace. Grace's divine goodness turned healingly towards <laughs> us floundering, struggling creatures. So uh, grace cannot be destroyed because it's not a thing, but it's God's own nature. So, and no one, and for Augustine, no one is beyond the reach of grace. So that's really important. Um, all right, and a couple of sermons on sin. I know this is a difficult topic. What about sin is self-deception? The ways that we hide from ourselves, what is real, what is really happening in us, what what we're really, what our actions are really saying, how our attitudes uh, are really affecting those around us. So many ways mm -hmm. that we're self-deceptive in the little in the little things, um, but the ways that often are destructive as well. So. So definitely for, for Augustine, sin, sin takes the shape of refusing to see my complicity in structures that bring harm to others, right? Um, so also for Augustine, sin is a denial of interconnectedness, Re refusing to accept that we are interconnected. Uh, but for Augustine, we're, we're created to be a living system, a community, because Augustine's very Trinitarian. For Augustine, God is the lover, the beloved, and the love. And so human beings are created to, to, for by Augustine's reading of scripture and so on, human beings are created to live in community, but denying interconnectedness in community is part of self-love for Augustine. 
And then one, one other area, I wouldn't say final, one other area that Augustine's really helpful in is um, how to seek good, even in the midst of moral ambiguity. Mm. <laughs> Reinhold Niebuhr in the 20th century was the great American theologian and ethicist who, who really understood Augustine well. And this is kind of an, uh, a Niebuhrian way, but for Augustine, the good, uh, the good, uh, to, to seek good is always to try to love God and love neighbor. That's for Augustine, the heart of the heart of scripture, the heart of everything, love God, love neighbor. And so for him, when all the other moral landmarks get washed away, you can still ask for grace to love God and love neighbor, even when everything else feels ambiguous and messed up. So those are some things for, for preaching. Now we'll turn to praying. To praying. So there's lots of different places one could go. And, and there's even some negative places people could go. Um, when, when people have the tendency to take parts of uh, Augustine's theology or th approach to theodicy and make it all about sin and punishment, those are really not net, those are not helpful ways <laughs> to go with praying. But I think that there's a lot of places to go. And, and the first one is, um, is kind of with that idea of plenitude that Tony was just talking about. Thank you, God, for the overwhelming variety of people that exist and the many ways of seeing you and reality. When I become afraid of so many options and am tempted to think that I alone know you or only I comprehend the world rightly, I bring judgment on others and harm to the beautiful patchwork of humanity. God, Calm my insecurity and help me open my heart to the many-hued beauty of your world and your truth. So that's one way of letting plenitude reshape us. Another uh, short prayer. God, you and I both see the mess I've made of this situation. My love of being the center of attention or of my comfort or the love of this misbegotten idea that I'm better than others has caused damage to the lives of others who I care about and so damaged my own as well. God, help me use this moment of clarity as a new place from which to grow and from which to accept my partialness, my brokenness, my need for forgiveness. Help me turn. And then a very short one. God, help me grow humility from the compost of my pride. And then a very, another short one that is uh, from her book, Story of a Soul, uh, St. Therese of Lisieux, whose dates are 1873 to 97, 1897. She wrote, and I think it just fits very well here. I know now that true charity consists in bearing all our neighbor's defects, not being surprised at their weakness, but edified at their smallest virtues. Amen. Amen, indeed. Um, I was reminded of this in the middle of the podcast, but I didn't want to bring it up until you just said it, Charmaine. And you know that in my first ordination, when I was ordained to be a priest by Wendy Ballard, my Australian mother in Australia, she prayed specifically for humility for me. <laughs> so, I mean, she asked God that I could be a more humble person. It did not take. 
at all. But <laughs> so you like that one about it like, means something to me. Yes. Like yeah. humility grow in the compost of my pride. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I well, gosh, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. I I I feel like I understand Augustine a little bit more. I, I, I know who Augustine is and I talk about Augustine sometimes, but I feel like I could talk about him a little bit more intelligently now. Thanks to you too. Well, I, I think the, the key with Augustine is again, understanding his own journey, because if we can understand his spiritual, emotional, psychological journey, then we'll probably use what he said in a more productive way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he probably could come across a little holier than thou if you didn't know his story, perhaps. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would, yeah, it would be helpful for anybody trying to encounter Augustine to know that he he struggled with his inner conflicts his whole life. Yeah, right? they didn't. You know, he just learned how to use them, but they didn't go away. That's pretty pretty important. Yes, that's very helpful. Well, thank you so much, Tony. Thank you so mm-hmm. much, Charmaine. You're wonderful, and it's great to talk to you today. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. 